what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Cosmic Soup. Today, we're going to be talking about the scientific and psychological link between food, health, aging, and dementia. And our guest is a retired professor of audiology and neuroscience, formerly from the illustrious University of Washington, right here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. She has offices here in Seattle, as well as Vancouver, BC, and we're excited to say has also become an advisory board member here at Third Third and Culinary Coach. So please welcome to the show, the amazing Dr. Kelly Tremblay. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fun. Yeah. And of course, with me as well is our own boss of bosses, Cynthia Thurlow-Kruver. Hey, Sin, what's going on? Well, I'm so happy to have Dr. Kelly here, and I have to say, very honored that she's an advisor, voluntary advisory board member. Absolutely epic. So, Dr. Kelly, give us a little appetizer, a little amuse-bouche. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved in the senior living industry. Yeah, it's a good place to start, right? You might think, how does someone who is in neuroscience end up in the senior living industry speaking about food? Absolutely. So let's put this together. How about we just start with, without going too far back, far back. Um, I grew up in a family where I had to be an advocate. My father had multiple sclerosis and I was in a wheelchair and just being able to navigate our way to a restaurant to have a birthday celebration was, took a lot of research to figure out what spaces would accommodate a wheelchair and, and all of that stuff. So um, I, I became an advocate. So it's no surprise that I chose a, a profession like many people do, a helping profession. And instead of going into nursing and other types of um, uh, the traditional physician route, I became an audiologist. And so with that training, I worked to help improve the people, the hearing of people who have everything from ear infections to have been in car accidents and lose their hearing overnight. Um, and I saw patients for almost a decade and realized that as much as we know, there's so much we don't know. And especially as it relates to age-related hearing loss, because that's something that's gradual and happens over time. And despite the tools that we have, like hearing aids and other things, there's really no guaranteed way that we can improve somebody's quality of life. And part of that reason is the brain. What is the brain doing with that information? And we're all different. So I gave up a good paying job just to go back to school and did a PhD in auditory neuroscience and have loved every minute and ran a research lab um, and published many, many, many articles and with many research grants and have loved that. But after 20 years, I realized as much as we are doing in our ivory towers of research, um, uncovering the problems, are we really connecting with the community it's meant to serve? Um, are we putting these solution, this, this information into solutions? And so I started getting invited to be on advisory boards um, representing consumer advocacy and realizing there was a, a disconnect. And so I decided I would retire and volunteer on these boards um, through like the Hearing Loss Association of America, the World Health Organization, so I can help bridge the gap between, you know, presenting science in a way that can actually Put it, make a difference with boots on the ground and connect these two worlds so that we can make a difference. And that's why I'm here today. That's absolutely out of control epic. And also just as a clarification, you you volunteer with us as well um, that you want to come in and help us out because you support the goals that, that we're trying to accomplish as well. Absolutely. You know, five years, to be honest, if you'd asked me if I'd be in this position, I'd say no, because as a scientist, we are skeptics. And sometimes we are doing damage control in the way that 
things are marketed, the messaging that goes out there can be uh, falsely represented represented to seniors um, or, the, you know, there's just information overload. So it's hard for um, older adults to be able to separate the snake oil from, from the rigorous scientific um, uh, supported uh, products or resources or information. And I just gained such a respect for Cynthia and, and your team because you are known in the industry as being a, a powerful uh, company that is trying to fight ageism and is really has a, an honor code that I really respect. And I w- can see the opportunity to help contribute to the messaging to make sure the quality of the message that reaches the, the, the consumers that I advocate for, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a better quality control. And um, the fact that you guys are open to that is not common in, in the industry. And so I think there's a great partnership here that we can do. Yeah, we're really about opening up the dialogue and exploring new avenues. I think that people haven't gone down. I call them rabbit holes. But, you know, we like to go and take different perspectives from different areas of expertise and see how can we bring these all together and kind of brainstorm and put out new things to the cosmic soup if if uh, if we are going to talk about that. So that is that is awesome. So what is that link between audiology and neuroscience? Well, when we think about uh, communicating, just looking at somebody in the eye and having a conversation, it's not just about reading people's body language. It's about listening to what they have to say. And as just as much as we think about food as filling our gut, um, we don't just hear with our ears. All that information is being transmitted from the ear to the brain. And so what you experience as sound um, is is in the physical element, we can quantify and measure as being all of us, but how you feel that sound or what you make uh, out of that sound, how you use that information is very personal. And so that's something that, you know, we think of the, the, in the field of neuroscience, the brain is our CPU, so to speak. It controls everything that we do, what we, t- what we feel, what we see, what we hear, what we taste. And all that information is put together. And so our interaction and our connection to our environment is all based on neuroscience. So my specialty is looking at how does that change as we age and how does this interfere with our ability to stay, be productive at work or to socialize over a cup of coffee or to um, be able to enjoy a meal in this case, um, because as we age, we lose our olfactory senses. We lose our hearing. We lose our taste gradually as we age. And so it's no surprise then that it's that many people find themselves separating from socializing or becoming more socially isolated because they don't necessarily get the same joy or pleasure that comes from uh, the, the same things that they did when they were younger because they don't get the full enriched experience. Yeah. And then when it does come to food and nutrition, how can the average person tell the difference between true science and as you referred to as snake oil earlier? Oh, that's a tough question. And I should put a disclaimer. I'm not a nutritionist and my, I'm a great consumer of food. Sure, as a- <laughs> I'm not a, uh, an expert when it comes to the contents of, of food or preparation, as my family will tell you. Um, so, um, wah, wah. <laughs> but I think for my usual advice, whether it's to students in the classroom, students around the world, or, you know, my grandparents when they were alive or um, my neighbor, there is some, there's so much noise out there in the messaging, right? 
But I think some of the places to start, if you were to do Google searches, you can go from one click to cancer and almost any any search engine um, attempt. So you have to filter out some of the, some of the um, rabbit holes as you describe. Right. And one of the ways that you can do that is if you go to websites that have .gov or .org or .edu, I think then that links you to usually nonprofits or government agencies or NGOs or educational facilities that do, do make an effort to stick to content that has been either peer reviewed or has been vetted at least by their professional organizations. As opposed to the dot coms that are really focused on commercial gain and things like that. So. Yeah, of course, there's some dot coms that have great missions and are doing a good job. But usually the .edus, the .govs, and the and the um, uh, .orgs have organizational structure where there is some, some control over or some vetting of the material and how they represent themselves. So two examples would be the National Institutes of Health, NIH.gov. Um, or you could just look at, a, say, a, a trustworthy um, educational institution. Some people feel comfortable going to, say, the you know, Stanford or Harvard websites or a mayoclinic.org. Um, so I think if, if you want to start uh, narrowing down your scope, those would be good places to go. That's great. So there are plenty of resources out there on the interwebs that people can just look at in the privacy of their own home and really kind of help to delineate what's what's real from what's maybe buried in the mix. Correct. Awesome. Um, you know, your website has a really cool quote right at the top. It says, we are living in a time when aging and the experience of aging are undergoing a profound transformation. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. I, you know, in, it's almost as if in our generation right now, what we're experiencing, almost everything is being disrupted, whether it's, you know, ride hailing or uh, the way that we order our food. You know, I, I'm a subscriber to having my food delivered at home. For, I'm a busy mother. And and um, so everything is undergoing uh, disruption. And that's true. So for the for the medical um, system. So, you know, we often talk about the age wave or the silver tsunami or these types of terms that really describe the fact that there's a shift in our demographics. Um, the number of people on this earth um, it, now ex of people over 60 now exceeds the number of people on this earth who are under 20, for example. And so we are seeing the silver tsunami of um, a large bubble of people living, well, we're living longer and the proportion of us on this planet are, are is, is bulging, so to speak. Um, you might have heard this as being kind of blue zones in the world where there's certain countries where the number of people over 65 is is increasing so rapidly that our systems are not well equipped. So you can think about this in the way if you have a number of people who are living longer and going to live to say 90 or 100 and I ascribe to the idea that I am likely statistically to have a 100 year life. What does that look like in terms of my career? It means that I have to work longer to 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 provide for myself. What does that look like um, physically? Well, I'm going to have a lot of comorbidities, a lot of ailments and things that hurt. So I'm going to need to see the doctor more often. How, how does this, it, it disrupts a lot of different things in our economy. So one thing that we have seen is a disruption in the fact that we cannot ascribe to the traditional medical model. If my aches and pains are what we would call, say, normal with aging, 
I, they don't, I don't want to be clogging the emergency room or the physician's office for somebody who necessarily is having a cardiac arrest. So we're seeing an emergence of taking healthcare outside of the traditional hospital model. And we're seeing telehealth. We're seeing all kinds of different ways we can deliver health-inspired um, uh, products, services in now the private sector. So what you guys are doing with Culinary Chef, for example, I think is a good example, and that you're trying to find alternative ways to deliver healthy food to a population that has a, you know, a great need for um, improved nutrients as we, as, as we age, but it may not be through the traditional nutritionist uh, channel that exists in a medical model. So how can we deliver that in a different ways? So we're having to be creative to be able, out of necessity because of the masses of people that we cannot serve by just going to the doctor's office. And we think, have to think creatively, again, not just being the expert, you guys are pros and experts in, in the culinary business, but if you just do it of the mindset of what you think is best, it may be not be what the consumers want. And so it's important to have that dialogue both ways. And Cynthia is a very big proponent of what is referred to now as the mind diet, correct? Well, um, the mind-gut connection. Yes, the mind-gut connection. That is one of the reasons that we love Dr. Kelly on yeah. our advisory board because we find um, – we, we look at science and we – Think about how we can infuse that into the culinary coach service offering to make the diets and the aesthetic experience of eating better for seniors. So we love that Dr. Kelly will vet and review um, concepts and ideas that we're interested in and let us know what what is snake oil versus what's not snake oil. And the mind gut diet connection is very interesting. And that's something coach. that you're, you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't trained in this area, but I found that I needed to, to become familiar with it on a personal level. And that's because over the last five years, I have some autoimmune issues that ended up directing me through endocrinologists and naturopathic medicine that I realized I need to change my diet. And so I became a consumer and I started reading books of trying to understand, well, what triggers inflammation and what is this connection? So as much as the mind-gut connection is not new to me, and you know, I think if we all think about our youth, we've always been told, well, you are what you eat, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything until it's 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 something that you're feeling or you, <laughs> it, it beca- you have to be, have an invested interest in it, right? Um, and so now I started reading these books and it was just, you know, it, it, the whole area of nutrition can be a slippery slope of fad diets and, and it's hard uh, to be a consumer um, in that space as I found. And so that's why it's nice to at least compare and direct you guys to um, areas of uh, vetted research that allows us and you to, to do some collective uh research, so to speak, in terms of reading. But the idea that, you know, just like I mentioned, the ear to the brain um, is so important that you don't think of your hearing as just your ears. We don't think of just the gut as the gut as processing it for processing whatever you ate 10 minutes ago. Our brain is as is, is an ecosystem of its, itself. It's, it's built with, with, structurally it's comprised of neurons and pathways and connections that we call neural networks. So the parts of the brain that work together, um, anything we experience is usually tying together and communicating the, the frontal lobe with the temporal lobe and the limbic system and the brainstem. And, and so how our body 
processes and digests food and extracts the nutrients in it is also a brain matter. And so it's not a surprise that the structure and the biology and the chemistry that that runs our brain is based on what we what we take in. And so it's no surprise then if you've got inflammatory issues or autoimmune issues, how you can trigger those things based on what you eat or what you exempt from your, from your uh, diet. And as we age, um, when we talk about cognitive decline and things like that that happen, um, we become a little more concerned about what we're putting in our body because we certainly want to try and stay as sharp and as independent, um, as engaged as we can. It's not about we don't fear dying. We fear the quality of life that we're going to have over until we die. Yeah, that's an important distinction to make for sure. Indeed, the fear of the nursing home. That's everybody's uh, biggest fear. Dr. Kelly, what I think is interesting too, um, because of your audiology uh, background, is how does hearing, how might hearing affect digestion or pleasure of food or dining pleasure? How does the brain connection and audiology um patch into dining. Yeah, that that's that's another intersection of how I ended up becoming interested in in food, that contribution um and the hospitality industry because as audiologists, we are committed and um and our professional mission is to help improve the quality of life of people and that one aspect of that is through communication and you need to hear to be able to communicate unless you're part of a, another culture like using sign language or something we need to we need to connect over communication and so when we work with our patients we do the very best we can to set them up for success by giving them hearing aids or cochlear implants or assistive listening devices and then we send them out into the real world and one of the great pleasures we have in our life is is to go out to restaurants and to dine and um and so i ended up as a passion project creating an app that allowed people to find coffee houses, um, key uh, town hall type uh, meeting places that we would call ear friendly because it gave you the opportunity to be able to have a meaningful uh, experience uh, in a place that wasn't so noisy. So it's no surprise, it's all over the media that the average levels of noise in restaurants can exceed 90 decibels. That's that's the sound of a a tool, like a drill going off, you know, about three feet from your head. So um, the restaurant industry is always looking at ways to improve that and the consumers are always complaining about it. So this app and my mission has been to try and again, share resources so that we can try and give people's ears a chance um, and, and help the hospitality industry as well and get these two worlds to work together. So one of the things is just promoting people's quality of life and their social engagement is an essential ingredient to the quality of life when you look at the World Health Organization recommendations um, and guidelines. Um, So from that perspective, you know, we promote social engagement. From a medical standpoint, we also know that noise, for example, noise pollution is also a health concern because it raises your stress levels. Mm -hmm. And with your stress levels, it increases cortisol levels and it can interrupt the whole cascade of, of biological events that go into digesting your food, absorbing the nutrients and your natural, you know, your natural ecosystem that exists. Um, 
noise is sometimes described in the eyes of the beholder. You know, you might feel energized by noise and you might want to go to a club and you might want to go to a restaurant where, you know, you can't have a conversation and you're pumped up by it. But we don't all we don't all manage stress in the same ways or what's a stressor to you or me may be different. So again, that mind gut connection comes into play here. Um, not only in terms of the physical levels of sound in your environment, but the, the smells, the tastes, the visual, visual appearance of food. Um, sometimes you want quiet. Sometimes you want loud. So all of these things come into play and it's all brain driven. I've also heard, well, not, not that I've just heard, but it's been said that there are also certain kinds of food that really tie in better to the mind-gut connection. Uh, I think uh, like walnuts and beans and things like that. Can either of you elaborate on that at all? There's, you know, uh, foods that are rich with omega-3s, high-fiber foods, foods that are not heavy in processed sugar or flours. They enhance your microbiome and your microbiome does affect your brain. So, if you think about how, I mean, even how you feel, if you ate three Twinkies for breakfast, how would you feel? It would make you grumpy by 11 o'clock. But on and the I, immediate basis, I would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and so to me, that's like a, a direct correlation of the mind-gut connection, where if, you're, if your gut is being fed foods that are not helping your microbiome and, and that is systemic, going to the brain, we have so much control over how we feel based on what we eat. And I think how that translates to senior living is in, in, in a controlled environment and people are feeling perhaps vulnerable anyway, let's help them to eat really healthy and have the healthiest chance for a healthy brain. Awesome. Well, Dr. Kelly, just a few moments ago, you kind of touched on the topic of cognitive issues. And uh, as we all know in this industry, there is kind of an epidemic of cognitive diseases worldwide. As a collaborator on the World Health Organization's aging reports, what do you think of us individually as well as communities? What should we be focusing on when it comes to our eating habits? Part of the mission is to address some of the obstacles to um, to having quality food. So accessibility to food is often an issue for seniors. Oh, and good call. affordability um, to, uh, for food is often uh, an issue for seniors. So we think about the cost of healthy food versus fast food. So um, and the portion of a person's income or retirement pension going to shelter and food, there's not much left over. So if you're going to cut corners, it may be in finding and getting accessible food. Um, it's also about becoming choosing nutritious food. And so being wise and being knowledgeable about, it's not just about calories, it's about what's in those calories. Um, and being self-aware of what your needs may be, because certainly as we age, you know, it's no surprise you, you talk about changes in muscle mass and bone density, and then you've got medications that may interfere with some of the digestion processes of certain food. So, so those are some of the challenges that an individual nutritionist will tell you. And, you know, various governing bodies or advocacy groups will tell you that are, are a priority um, for our senior, our senior folks. So what are some of your suggestions maybe that we can toss out there to the cosmos to help start to overcome some of those obstacles? So what are those 
what are those opportunities, let's just say? Well, in the senior living facilities, this is a great opportunity because you have a captive group of people. So I think of myself, and I think of myself when I'm maybe 70. I may know a lot, but I may not have the habits or the convenience or the accessibility of doing what I living how I want to live, not only in terms of food, but also exercise and everything like that. So in a captive environment, we don't like to really use that word, captive, <laughs> right? Captives. In a community <laughs> environment where food is brought in, I think here's an opportunity to make dining more socially acceptable, um, more um, socially engaging. I, I personally have biases that, because um, I know people avoid dining experiences because they can't hear and they may be embarrassed and it's effortful to be extra, you know, to be extroverted in that environment, and and they don't want to be embarrassed by not my misunderstanding somebody because dining halls are very expensive, very loud. Um, but I think knowing what I know about the aging body, where we start to lose our senses, so our olfactory, our sense of smell, our sense of taste, are we develop low vision? We may have cataracts, and we can't hear. It's not surprising that older people may choose or not want to, to eat. So if you can have in, in, this, in this community selections that are kind of predetermined that I know are healthy, they're pleasurable to look at, I can enjoy them in a pleasurable environment and appeal to my senses where they taste good, knowing that some of the my, my tastes of sweet and, and, and salt are going to change. And that takes some of the effort out of me to bring that into my world. And I'm more likely to, to engage and, and to socialize um, and over, over meals. So think about, you know, the European system, you know, and the role of food in our culture. Um, I'll give you an example. We were in sabbatical and living in Paris for a year. And the first week of my kids' school in elementary school, the first week was a trip to the bakery. Because food is such a at the core of, of, of right. the French identity, and it was important for them, for the students to learn about the flour, like where the flour comes from, different types of flour, how bread is created, how how the the government contributes to the price of bread, uh, the flour to contribute to make it affordable for all, um, the different styles or the history of of baking bread. And um, and how you know bread brings us together. It really is breaking bread together. And so I think that's true in our society. But we in our younger years are often distracted by being having to be at work and racing to deadlines and convenience. And we kind of the pendulum swung to fast food. And I kind of look forward to the day where maybe I don't know if I want to be in a community. You know, in a, in a senior living facility, I can't I can't come to grips with that yet at this age, but there is some benefit to having all of that those decisions made for me and presented in a restaurant type style that I didn't have to I didn't have to put effort into doing. Yeah. So, Dr. Kelly, I think that's a really great segue into a question that we like to ask all of our guests here on Cosmic Soup. If you had a magic wand that you could wave and you created a community that you would want to live in, um, what would it be? Like, what would be your personal dream community? It could be anything. Let's imagine that you're 75 years old and you've decided, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move to some, you know, to a place that has 
a, a network, a built-in network for you and services. What is it? Oh, you've hit my trigger spot. And I think so many people my age, I'm in my 50s, are starting to reconcile with our own immortality. And when you add all the background that I have, it's almost like a an implosion of too much information to think, <laughs> wow, I'm no longer a scholar in this area. I'm living it. And that really freaks me out. Cognitive I overload. Sleep. Oh, I lose sleep over this. And so I'm trying not to be in denial. And being the alpha person I am, I'm trying to control what I control. So I've given this a lot of thought, knowing that, you know, t- 20 years from now, I, 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 you know, the world may look very different. So I'm going to try and create what that future looks like. Um, I can say what I don't want to do. I, when I went to college, I had no desire to live in dorms and be with all the, the crazy partiers or the cliques or whatever. I chose to live off campus. So I don't, the idea of community living in, in, in a residential complex in an apartment with condos or something like that, or a hospital type setting is not appealing to me. I like to be, I like to work in those settings. I don't want to be a patient. Right. Um, So instead, I think I need for me to be my true self. I need to feed my body and my brain. And I'm liking the trends and the movement towards integrating senior living into university and college type campuses where you can have, I think that's the important ingredient here is enriched environments. It's a term we use in science, enriched environments. So I, maybe because I've spent most of my life on a, on a campus as a student since kindergarten, I just retired this year. Um, so all of my 50-something years have been spent on this campus. I really like the idea of senior living facilities that are independent, but community, where you have great restaurants within access or inside the building or in down you know the hallway from me. Um, I can uh, have the healthcare because it's integrated on site or there might be university hospitals or things. I want to be surrounded by youth. I think it's important to have that mindset that I have not an expiration date and I want to keep my brain active by continuing to go to schools, to go to classes. People, universities have been very forward thinking and opening their classrooms to seniors and listening to invited speakers who often come to campus. And so I guess I want to die, uh, for lack of a better vision, um, <laughs> keeping my brain and body. And also, I'm an avid, avid um, group exercise type person. So having the gym right there will help keep me, um, keep me, you know, make right my bad habits of, of um, being lazy sometimes. And so going to a yoga class or Pilates class and going for a nice meal and then going to a movie on campus or listening to a, someone, a historian, come and talk about something about their new book, that would be paradise for me. That sounds like paradise to me. That's awesome. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking to another one of our colleagues, Mr. Cecil Rinker, and his vision was not too different than yours, especially as it relates to having different ages and different activity levels and different things kind of happening and, and kind of a uh, not just a place where you just you go to an apartment and then you're there. There's things to do and there's things that are jogging all of your different biological responses. And so yeah, his, his almost, answer was pretty similar. It's almost stigmatized if you're kind of, you know, put all in a, in a, in a box that's kind of not integrated into society. And I think it's really interesting with Cecil, you mentioned um, his vision. Isn't it interesting that just from a human nature, Cecil, you know, I don't know his background, but, and then there's me as a scientist from a human perspective, we've come to 
find the similarities and what our preferences are. But you know what? There's science to suggest that that's a really good approach as well. There are multiple good approaches, but there's science to suggest that the intermingling of generations and creating these enriched environments uh, works well. So it's, it's nice when science reaffirms what we as humans, just human nature, kind of crave. Now, we have one more question that we like to ask all of our visitors. Um, if you were talking to, say, 100 CEOs of senior living organizations, and you could tell them these three things, if you would do these three things, you would immediately make the lives of your residents better. What would those three things be? Oh, I... I've had a little bit of an opportunity to do this because I, I'm down to one parent out of the three parents. Um, uh, two had two had dementia and one had multiple sclerosis, and in the so they ended up in senior living facilities, maybe a little premature, because physically they needed that structure and that support. And what really seems to be lacking in my mind is that social component. I think senior living facilities do a good job right now of trying to have field trips, bingo, you know, bring entertainment to them. But I think at the deep, um, we as humans need to really connect at the soul level. And so having in real relationships where you can talk about your kids, talking about, you know, how you might be feeling and, and, and feeling depressed or feeling scared. I don't see a lot of that kind of support going on. And so um, how to, you know, how to facilitate that and to give people an opportunity to create those safe spaces to be able to relate to each other as as human to human. And I think that kind of goes in in place with my background as an audiologist. You know, you think about it as hearing, but really it's it's communicating and it's sharing information through speaking and communication is a two-way street, speaking and hearing. And so creating programs that allow uh, the opportunity to be able to hear and be heard is really lacking. Three quarters of the people who are in senior living facilities have hearing problems. And many, many of them do not have any in on, on-site facilities to help promote hearing loss or how to facilitate and improve that. So I think enhancing communication. I think you asked me for three things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, so those two, I think are really important. And where's the logical place to happen? I guess, because I'm here, the logical place would be (laughs) in the dining area or over a cup of coffee. You know, the, 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 the the third home as Starbucks has created. Um, There's that, that happens for a reason. And I think people can overcome a lot of adversity, whether it's pain, whether it's um, uh, a, a, a diagnosis that it doesn't look good if they can find comfort um, amongst themselves or amongst others and, and coping with, with those, that negativity that, that can happen. So those, that would be my, those are my suggestions. Those are good. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Is there a, uh, I guess, uh, are, are there resources, books, things that you would recommend to get more information on the things we've talked about today? Yeah. If I were in the senior living industry now, um, well, I guess the other thing I would suggest these C-suite people, they're not exempt from aging. So what is, where, where do they want to be? What, you know, just like you asked me about creating my own, you know, utopia, what does that look like? I think, you know, when you're 
as a as a, an executive in a leadership position, they have the opportunity to create that which they would want for themselves. So of course they should think so they in the should same be thinking terms. In the yeah. same terms. So one of the, so some of the books that I'm reading now, again, it's interesting as my science hat. I, I tend to geek out when I when I make selections, um, but I'm reading them now from more of an introspective person, as somebody who's aging and has just buried parents and can't help but feel a bit traumatized by that um, and by the realization that I'm going to get old and I don't want to be dependent on anybody else. I'm used to taking care of people. I don't like this shift in identity. So for me, and I, I would encourage um, um, executives to also look at books that give a framework of a lifespan as opposed to old age. I think those terms are stigmatized and they're and they're outdated. I think about things as a lifespan. Everything that we do today impacts you know what our tomorrow looks like in the next decade. I'd also um, embrace accessibility as um, an inclusion as as much as it's the new buzzword in industry. In some ways, our senior care living facilities um, tend to take a more of a medicinal medical approach. Like you know, we we came about it in nursing homes. So I think looking to the private sector and considering accessibility and reading about all the new stuff that's coming about as looking at uh, accessibility and inclusion from uh, an aging perspective. Because as you grow older, we all, by definition, will start to bodies break down and things like that, will need some um, additional uh, help. And so creating an environment that's accessible and inclusion. So those are things that I'm reading for myself, um, my personal self and my professional self. And then I guess the other thing that sometimes gets lost that I would encourage C-suite people is to find ways to interject humor. You know, Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. And I think the entertainment industry is doing a great job. We We've need to go hang Netflix. out with them because I think we're funny. <laughs> Just <laughs> we saying, are funny. come on. We're very funny. But look what's happening in the, in the you know, Netflix between Grace and Frankie. You know, you've got some of the SNL women, you know, making fun of themselves and embracing aging or maybe using humor to cover up the, the pain. But, um, you know, I think if in, in senior leadership, if they can – find some humor in it too. It'll trick it trickle down to the, to the decisions that they make and creating this environment for, for people and people like us will gravitate to their facilities as opposed to avoiding them because I don't want to be perceived as old. I don't want anyone to control my environment. And I, I, you know, I would take the taboo away from it. Well, it all comes down to something that I'm always telling people, which is you have to find a way to change the perception. Right. right? And if you're just going to be a stick in the mud, Who's going to want to be around you, right. right? And there's something for formula and for systems. I'm a systematic person. I like I like things in their places. But once in a while, somebody throws you for a loop and pulls you out of your comfort zone. That's when you realize, oh, this actually really works. Right. So yeah, have a sense of humor. Try something new. Think outside the box. Bring some different people in. All that stuff. It's not going to hurt you. You no, know no. what can it do? But give you another perspective and hopefully kind of put you down the path to maybe just change the way that you think about the old school stuff. Exactly. And that change in mindset is not only good for social reasons, it's socially good, but it will end up being good for business because people like you and I will will put our dollars there. Absolutely. I think that's a really good way to look at it. And if I can just end this on one little plug, and that is you and I couldn't necessarily have this of conversation, this podcast. And there are many people out there in the senior living facilities who may not be able to appreciate 
this or he listened to these podcasts because they can't hear. And so I have to at least put my hat on as a board member, a board uh, a trustee for the Hearing Loss Association of America. And so, again, if people need help and want to know how they can hear your podcasts and hear their neighbors and hear their grandchildren, um, Hearing Loss Association of America is a nice clearinghouse that is um, a great resource for executives, for we're all human. Everybody can can make use of that. And we'll yeah. we'll put a link to that in our show notes when we post the episode. So great, awesome. One in three people over sixty have significant hearing loss that interferes with their ability to work or to communicate with their loved ones. Mm. Food for thought. No pun intended. <laughs> See what I did there? Well, Dr. Kelly, it has been absolutely amazingly awesome having you on the show today. Uh, your insights are spot on, and the work and the connection that you've done between food and nutrition, audiology, neuroscience, dementia, all that stuff is just super inspiring. So really want to thank you for coming on, hanging out. Sin, want to thank you for hanging out with us today as well and taking one for the team. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Dr. Kelly. And thank, thank you. you, Mike, for, for putting together the cosmic soup. Yeah. So if people want to get more information from you, get a hold of you, how do they reach out to you? They can reach me at kelly at drkellytromblay.com. It's a long, my, my name is not easy. I realize that. So we, maybe we can put a link on the website. I think we can do that. All right. Thank thanks you. again. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Thank you. Wow. So much information in that interview. I know that was a lot to digest. Ha <laughs> ha. See what I did there? So make sure you check out all the links that we post in the show notes and check out Dr. Kelly's website. Also, don't forget, you can send us an email at CosmicSoup at 3rd, 3rd.com if you need some of those burning questions answered. So, thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon on Cosmic Soup.